This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit lakeeriechurch.com. Now here's today's message. As I was preparing this week, and you probably have all heard this story from the book of Exodus before. If you haven't, uh, it's a very uh, a commonly referred to story, especially this time of year, because we're the, especially if you're, the Jews are getting ready to celebrate Passover. But every time I read this story, and we're in the midst of this Exodus called out series, and very thankful to Pastor for allowing me to have the opportunity to, to share with you during this series. But every time I think about this particular passage, and ever since we've been scheduling, we're trying to figure out who's going to preach when, and ever since. I knew that I was going to be talking on this passage. This passage always gets me because there's an interesting dichotomy or there's an interesting contrast that takes place in this passage. You have those who are the Israelites, they're ready to experience one of the best days of their life. As you know, in the book of Exodus, we've talked about that at the beginning of Exodus, the Israelites are crying out because they're in captivity. They're, they're slaves in Egypt. They're crying out that the Lord would, would, would rescue them and, and bring them out of slavery into the, eventually into the promised land. So uh, all, throughout the beginning parts and the beginning of chapters of Exodus, you see how the Lord starts to work out his plan to, to rescue the Israelites and all that kind of stuff. And finally, here we are in Exodus chapter 12. The plan is just getting ready to come to fruition. So you have the Israelites who are on the cusp and on the precipice of literally experiencing the best day of their lives when they're getting ready to be restored, where they're getting ready to be uh, rescued out of slavery. So you have that on one side. But on the other side, you have the Egyptians. You have the Egyptians who are probably getting ready to experience one of the worst days in their lives. Now, at this point, the nine of the ten plagues that, the, that God was, uh, was sending to Egypt, nine of the ten plagues had happened. A lot of people had been affected. A lot of lives had been affected. But this plague that's about to take place, the, the death of the firstborn, was probably going to make this the worst day for these Egyptians. And, you know, and whenever I was thinking about this, I think about how often in our own lives, we kind of have that same dichotomy. We kind of have that same contrast that exists in our lives. You have people that can be experiencing the best day of their lives. People who are on vacation. You see pictures of people who are on a beach vacation, and, and they're, they're, they're literally, it took them forever to get there. They're experiencing the best day of their lives. But at the same time, you have another family that's mourning the loss of a loved one who died in a car accident. And then you have, uh, in another scene, you have a bride who's getting ready to be married, and they've been, mar- they've been uh, engaged for several years, and they're getting ready to be married, and they're ready to experience the best day of their lives, while on the, next hand, on, the, on the other hand, you have a bride and a wife who's getting ready to go through divorce with her husband. Best day. Worst day. The next thing, you have a man who's getting ready to be promoted to CEO, literally worked his whole life to become a CEO in his company, and he's getting ready to, be, to step into that position. He knows that it's going to be an increase in pay and all those kind of things. And then on the other scene, you have a man who's experiencing the worst day of his life whenever the, the boss calls him in and he gets fired. One couple who's getting ready to enjoy the birth of a son or a daughter, while another couple is having to go through the loss and the burial of their son. Or the daughter. This is the exact scene that we have playing out here in Exodus where the Israelites are experiencing the best day of their lives, but the Egyptians are having to experience 
the worst day of their lives. And, and, and we think that this story just starts here in Exodus, but that dichotomy and that contrast tends to happen all the way back, even starting in the book of Genesis, where people are experiencing the best day of their lives while others are experiencing the worst day of their lives. I can't even imagine if I was an Egyptian having to deal with the loss of a loved one. This story has been happening all the way since the beginning of Adam and Eve. And, and on it, on, in every single instance that you see, every single instance you see in Genesis, every single instance, even up until here, you see that on the worst day of their lives, even God is still offering a chance for redemption. In the nine plagues, as you see them transpire, you see how Moses is constantly going back to Pharaoh, saying, Pharaoh, let my people go. This can end here. But it says that his heart continued to be hardened. So he continued to make sure that everybody, including himself, was going to keep experiencing the worst day of their lives. But every single time, every single moment, God was offering a chance at redemption. God was offering a chance at redemption. You may be here this morning, and this may be your first time here. You've been going to church for multiple years now, or whatever it may be, and you may have gone through the worst day of your life. One thing I came to tell you is that no matter how bad the day may be, God is always there for you. No matter how bad the loss may seem, God is always there for you. No matter how bad it may feel when you're, you're facing the, the potential loss of finances and all that kind of stuff, God is there for you, and God is offering you a chance of freedom and a chance of redemption. Today, we're going to talk about how we are called out to redemption. Each and every one of us are called out to redemption. Every day of our lives, we're given the opportunity to be called out to redemption, called out to redemption. There are four points I want to make. I'm going to try to get through these as quickly as I can. Four points about redemption that this passage teaches us. The first point is this. Redemption requires sacrifice. We see that in verses, verse 21 and verse 22. It says that, then Moses called the elders of Israel together and said to them, go pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter, everybody say the word slaughter, the Passover animal, drain the blood into a basin, to then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the tops and sides of the door frames of your houses and no, one, and no one may go out of the door until morning. Whenever we celebrate Passover, whenever we, we reflect on this passage, I think sometimes we become so, so numb to what the, the, these passages say. But the fact that these people had to give up the sacrifice of a lamb or a goat in order to experience the redemption that God has, was offering them was a pretty big deal. And if you notice, it says they needed to offer a young goat or a young lamb, even though it's not exactly explicitly stated here. If you go into the other uh, books of the, of the Old Testament, into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the young there is translated to be the, uh, a goat or a lamb in its first year. Why in the world would God want a lamb or a goat to be used in their first year? Let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Brother Subio, I know you're getting ready to ask me, so I'm glad you did. 
In the first year, a lamb or a goat, and if you've ever been a farmer, you know there's a lot of time and attention that gets paid to that lamb or goat. You have to nurture that lamb. You have to nurture that goat. You have to, say, you have to get up early in the morning, and you have to go to bed late at night, making sure that that lamb or that goat can survive. A lot of, a lot of commitment needs to go into that, and honestly, a lot of finances, and a lot of financial commitment has to go into nurturing and, and to developing that one-year-old lamb or goat because you want to make sure that it makes it through that one year because if statistics show if it makes it through that one year, then odds are it'll make it beyond that one year. So this lamb or goat represented the best of their sacrifice. The best of their sacrifice. When God wanted the Israelites to take this young lamb or goat, the lamb or goat that they had invested time, energy, and effort in, he wanted, to take, he wanted them to take their best and sacrifice it, put the blood over the doorpost because he wanted it to represent their best sacrifice so he can offer them his best form of redemption. Oh, that may not make a big deal to you, but the Bible talks about, fast forward all the way to the New Testament, and several instances all throughout the Gospels and and Paul's letters, it talks about, and even Jesus himself referred to this as the Lamb of God. You may not make a big deal about a one-year-old lamb or goat that they had to sacrifice back in Exodus, but I guarantee you, we should all be thankful for the the Lamb of God who went to the cross and sacrificed. It was God's best sacrificed on the cross so that we can experience his best. If it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross, none of us would be offered redemption. Not a single one of us. So yeah, this may seem like Old Testament. This may seem like time that is gone past and all that kind of stuff. But I guarantee you, every single day of our lives, we need to realize and we need to be thankful that God sent his best sacrifice so that we can experience the best redemption that he could possibly offer. Sometimes I think we get so numb to that. You come and watch a performance like Tetelestai and walk out and say, well, I've seen that a hundred times before. But do we realize the fact that that was the best? That was God in the flesh, Pastor. Jesus, his son, the best. He sacrificed his best. Redemption requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice, and we need to, be, we need to take that and, 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 and own that, that it's required sacrifice. It's not, it's, it's not about just simply reciting a prayer saying, God, forgive me of my sins. Yes, God, I'll forgive you. But do you realize the sacrifice that went in for that redemption to be able to take place? Next point is this. Redemption requires remembrance. Redemption requires remembrance. If you look in verse 24, it says, uh, remember these instructions are permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. Words that God has given to Moses here. Moses wanted this moment of redemption to not be something that was just a one-time thing. Not just something that the Israelites did and, oh, we got freedom and we got redemption. We're good. We're not going to ever do this. No. And if you know of anything about the Jewish tradition and Jewish heritage, there are people in who are Jews that still celebrate Passover today. In fact, they're getting ready to start their Passover celebrations on April 5th. Moses wanted the people to remember the redemption. I think sometimes we forget. We forget about what God has done for us. We forget about the sacrifice that God has made for us. 
We get so caught up in, in, in our lives. And listen, I'm not trying to belittle anything that you have to go through in your life, but I think it's important for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross more than just one time a year. We need to remember the sacrifice that God made on the cross every single day. It's not just about Easter. It's about every day. Living out the Easter moment every day. And yes, I know that Jesus, three days later, he rose from the dead. But today we're talking about the sacrifice that he had to make in order for us to be able to experience redemption. In order for us to be able to experience freedom The Passover lamb and the sacrifice that was made needed to be continued beyond just that one-time moment. Here's the thing. I think there are people in society, and maybe the church has kind of convinced them of this, that they think that they could come to the altar, ask God to forgive their sins, they'll be good to go, and there's nothing else they have to do the rest of their lives. It's a one-time thing. No, that's just the beginning of the process. As soon as you give your heart to the Lord, you need to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross every single day and try to grow every single day to look more and more like Jesus. Thank you. Appreciate that. We have to remember it, church, because I'll tell you what, there are people in churches that have forgotten that. There are people in churches and there are leaders in churches and and, and people who think that it's all about them. It's all about that one-time moment, and once we're good, I can go carry on like I used to carry on before. It's not the case. We have to remember daily the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Third point is this. Redemption requires obedience. Obedience is all throughout. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, obedience, and, uh, and, and, and how obedience is all throughout the book of Exodus. And specifically in here, there are very vivid instructions that Moses gives to the Israelites as to what they're supposed to do, about what the lamb's supposed to do, what exactly they have to use to, to brush the lamb over the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and that the fact that they have to stay inside. Redemption requires obedience because obedience brings about blessing in our lives. I'm not going to go into this again, but it's important for us to remember that there are two things that exist. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals curse. That's the way it is. You have to be obedient to God. You have to be obedient to his word. You have to be obedient to his commands. You have to be obedient to what he says that you need to do. When I read this story, I think, man, what would have been? I don't know how I would have acted. How you can't even go out of your house. I'm a very... A very calm person most times. Not true at all. Katie will tell you that that's not true. Love you, dear. Man, if that were me and Moses gave me those instructions, I would, not, I would have not said a single word. I wouldn't have left one room of my house. Yeah, I get it. The blood's on the outside door, bro. I would have stayed in my bathroom. Be like, if that death angel's coming, he's not, he's not coming to my bathroom. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I would have tried to do it. Mean, I've, been, I've been telling Lacey and Nora, you guys need to not say a word. A single, if you go out of this house, you're dead. And I can't do anything about it. It's all God. God's going to strike you dead. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's funny, too, when you look at these instructions that Moses gives the Israelites. They struggled with obedience up until this point. 
He had to have been thinking to himself, oh, Lord, I'm telling these people this. I guarantee you there's going to be about five or six of them that are going to leave their house, even with the blood there, and they're going to be struck dead. What am I going to do, Lord? Well, maybe it's the five or six that he wanted to have be struck dead. You know, those church members that, hey, I didn't say it. You're inferring it. I was going to say, Lord, help him. But redemption required obedience. The Israelites had to go through this process, and they had to be obedient to the process, be obedient, and trust that the Lord was going to cover them. Listen, I say that I'd be stuck in my bathroom. I'd be praying the moment that Moses told me that until the moment that the death angel had passed, that God, make sure I'm not one of the ones that my kid gets taken out. I was having a conversation with, uh, with Pastor Carson, the youth pastor over at, he was my youth pastor growing up. He's the lead pastor now at Conneaut and uh, my mentor. And, and I, I was talking to him about the instances in my life in which I stress and I tend to worry and things. He's like, think back to this story. Think back to this story. There were Israelites who went in their houses and they trusted that God would just cover them and they'd be okay. They slept well that night. And then you have, you have Israelites who, who maybe lacked a little bit of trust, and they were up worrying every single, uh, that would have been me, every single hour. But here's the thing about obedience. Let me tell you this about obedience. If you are being obedient to God, you can trust that God's, God's will and God's plan is going to come to fruition in your life. Listen, I don't care what the picture looks like right now. The picture may not look like the way that you want it to look. It may be like one of those color-by-number things where you're coloring in and you're like, what in the world is this, God? But I can guarantee you that if you continue to be obedient, God's got you. Yeah, yeah, it may have caught you off guard when you got laid off or you got fired or, or your kids are going through this situation or you lost a lot. It may have caught you off guard, but if you continue to be obedient, God's got you. God's going to redeem you. He's going to offer you freedom. So redemption requires Obedience. Point number four. This is one of my favorite points about this whole passage. We could actually have the worship team, if you want to, Pastor Jerome, want to come up and start getting ready. One of my favorite points of this whole passage is this. Redemption leads to worship. Redemption leads to worship. Amid all that was going on and the instructions that, that the Israelites found about, about what was going to happen, I love how in verse 27, this is what it says. I'm going to read it again if that's okay. Verse 27, this is what it says. It said, and you will reply, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared your families. Look, at this is what it says right here. When Moses had finished speaking... All the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. When was the last time you worshiped God for bringing you through something? Do you get into this the routine of coming in here? The band's up here. Man, they did a great job today, huh? Great job. Pastor Jerome, awesome. Team, you guys did great. Whatever that thing was that Joey was playing, he did a good job on that. <laughs> to me, it looked like a stool, but he just wanted to sit down. That's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. We get in this routine of just coming in, and, and, and we don't give our all in worship because I think that we forget about what got us to this point. 
Tell you what, if it wasn't for God, I don't know where I'd be. If it wasn't for God, I don't know, I'm allowed to say this, kids, because it's a literal place, I don't know what hell I'd be in. And I think sometimes whenever we come and prepare our hearts to worship, we don't fully engage and fully enter into worship because we forget about the things that God brought us from. When was the last time you worshiped God for freedom from addiction? When was the last time you, 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 you worshiped God for freedom from anxiety, depression, or stress? When was the last time you worshiped God because he brought you out of a sickness or an illness in your life? When was the last time you worshiped God because he redeemed you and he, he, he rescued you from having a spirit of anger and, and, and constantly lashing out to people? When was the last time you worshiped God for your testimony? And I understand you may be saying, well, I can't worship God because God hasn't delivered me from this yet. But the wonderful thing about this passage, I love this. The Israelites didn't wait to be redeemed to worship God. Listen, the redemption, the process, the death angel still had not passed. The blood had still not been put over the doorpost. But it says that after the instructions were given... They bowed down and worshiped God. So sometimes in our lives, we need to praise God and worship God in advance for the miracle that's going to take place. And listen, I'm, you, we, we'll pray for you. We're going to pray that that miracle takes place in your life. We're going to pray even this morning. If you're going through something, we're going to pray. But sometimes it's important for us to set up an attitude of worship in our hearts before the miracle happens. So that way, when the miracle happens, we're ready to live a lifestyle of worship after the miracle happens. When was the last time you prayed God, you praised God? For what he was about to do. When was the last time you praised God for the victory that was going to take place? When was the last time while you're sick in body you praised God for the the healing that was going to be coming? When was the last time you praised God when you were, you, were bought, you were bound by anxiety, stress, depression? When was the last time you lifted up your voice and praised God in preparation for the miracle that was going to take place in your life? Come on, somebody. We need a church full of people that, yes, it's important for us to praise God after the miracle takes place, but I believe in my heart, and maybe I'm wrong for saying this, I believe it's just as, maybe not even a little more important that we praise God before the miracle takes place. And worship is not just about singing the songs and knowing the lyrics to the song. Worship is a lifestyle that changes your heart. You know people who are actively worshiping God because whenever they're going through situations in their life, you're looking at their situation and you're thinking, how in the world could you possibly have a smile on your face? Because God is changing and transforming your heart. It's important for us to remember to worship God. 
I think we need to worship God as often as we can. Even if you're on your way to work and, and, you're, and you're in the car by yourself, I'll tell you what, I've had some of the, most, the best praise sessions in my car on my way back and forth to different things. You're in the car and you're worshiping God. People are driving by you thinking you're crazy. Come on, they think I'm crazy, but they don't know what I'm worshiping God for. And some of you may think that you have to worship God the way Sister Tracy worships God or other dancers of the church worship God. Listen, that's not what it's about. Worshiping God is not expression all the time. It's about a change of heart. It's a change of heart. So what is it that you need to be rescued from? What is your Egypt? What is holding you bound? What is it that you've been going through for years? What is it? Whatever it is, I believe that this morning is an important reminder to us all that whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is that's holding us back, that if we would just surrender that to God, redemption is coming. Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. What is that thing that you have to sacrifice? We talk about this. We were just talking about this a couple weeks ago in youth group with the students. There are certain things that we have to sacrifice that are holding us back from walking in what it is that God has for us. What it is, what is it for you that's holding you back? What is it that you have to sacrifice? I believe this morning is a morning that, yeah, the enemy tried to do everything he could to set us up for failure, but I'll tell you what, the devil is a liar. (laughs) And the Spirit of the Lord is here. How terrible would it be in this setting, in this moment, for us to walk away feeling the same way that we came? How terrible would it be for us to walk away from this service in this word that, remember, I prayed at the beginning, this wouldn't be a word for, from me, but it'd be a word from the Lord for you. How terrible would it be if we walked away still bound to the things that God is calling us to be broken away from? Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.